This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to the Ink Film Podcast, where we read the book. And then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week we discuss Matthew Quick's 2008 novel, Silver Linings Playbook. Silver Linings Playbook. This is my first time reading this, and I have not seen the movie, so it was my first time experiencing this story, and I had a great time with it. But you've seen the movie already, so your experience is definitely going to be different than mine. Yeah, it was interesting. Very similar, which is kind of to be expected with a story like this, but a little darker, I think. A little more... Really? I feel like we were able to get a little more into Pat's mind. Oh, cool. For sure. Okay. Well, before we get into it, I think we're going to do this episode a little different. Uh, first thing we're going to do is do a little bit of housekeeping, uh, talk about some stuff that's been going on with the podcast, uh, and then after that, we're going to do a spoiler-free general discussion about Silver Linings Playbook. So if you haven't seen it or read it or you're just curious about the story, you can stick around and listen to all of that. You'll be totally safe from spoilers. And then we'll get into uh, the, a, bio, a brief bio about the author, which will also be safe, and then we'll get into a spoiler discussion, which we'll definitely shout out when we get there. So, I mean, the first thing to mention with this whole project is this episode and the following episode, the book and the movie coverage, was funded and paid for by one of our jukebox heroes on Patreon. That's right. Uh, Stephen E. chose this project. I think he said it was one of his favorites, and he wanted us to cover it. And so we're doing two episodes for him. Uh, it's taken him a few months to earn up the tokens, but hopefully he enjoys this. And and this is our this is our premier tier reward, right? Like we we literally are doing this podcast. Uh, because he paid for it. I would not have, I mean, it was on our list, but like it was way down. I don't think we would have covered it this year. Um, so this has definitely changed uh, what we were going to do. And I'm having a lot of fun with it. It was definitely one that I would would have wanted to do at some point. But the fact that somebody decided this is what they would want us to cover, I think it's cool. Yeah, and, you know, hopefully this might inspire a few more people to think about it. Um, clearly, it's a lot. It's, you know, it's $25 a month, which is a considerable amount. Um, and you know you got to save up some tokens to 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 equal the amount to the project, which we have listed on our on our uh, director jukebox directory on our website. You can see the cost of all the different projects. But this is like the coolest reward we thought we could give, right? Like a devoted podcast to somebody's project. Clearly, it's a it's a it's a good bit of money, but it's also extremely generous because you're helping this show. And if you're a fan of this show or you listen to this show and you like it. It's the strongest way to keep it going. Now, certainly not for everyone. It's only clearly only for people who can spare $25 a month, which is not everybody. Um, but if you can, you know, think about it. If you like this show, because it's a really cool way to affect what we do. You can introduce us to something that isn't necessarily on our radar, because that often happens with me. If I know nothing about a project, it won't really be on my radar. And that's kind of how this one was for me. So yeah, just once again, huge shout out to Stevie for being a jukebox hero and and seriously, like all props to you. We appreciate it. Yeah, and if you want to find out how to become one or just look into it and see what we're offering, uh, go to patreon.com forward slash ink to film and you can view our different uh, tiers. We also have uh, lower tiers where you can just spend two bucks and get access to all our bonus content, which we just put out Fahrenheit 451, the 1966 uh, version which I got to learn all about French was it the French New Wave French New Wave yeah so I didn't do nothing about it and we got to talk about that movie so that was fun on our bonus content um, so yeah if you want to find out how you can get access to that and check it out as well another Patreon related thing that we we Luke and I decided that a goal that we wanted to try to strive for was was uh, making our podcast more inclusive and and allowing people who are hearing impaired to participate and listen as well so a huge shout out to Jennifer Delazana um, I mean, I just can't even believe the generosity. It's just like I was blown away when she said that she was willing to to help us out this, you know, because it was a long term goal to so to have it happen so quickly is awesome. Yeah, we decided we wanted to make our our podcast uh, accessible to anyone who wanted to access it. And one of the ways to do that is to start doing transcripts. So we started looking into what that would cost, what that would be like. Everything we were seeing was pretty cost prohibitive, but we thought, okay, we can just make it a Patreon goal and, and we can get there and hopefully we can do it. Um, but yeah, someone I went to school with uh, at Seton Hill, um, I believe she graduated a little bit before me, but yeah, we, we, we've met at cons. She's great and she offered to help out. So we decided we're going to kick her what we can right now, which is not much, 
but you know we we didn't want her working for free and then um eventually if we can hit some Patre- the patreon goals we added to the to the list uh what we'll do is we're going to up her pay and we're going to have her start going through our back catalog uh, right now, it's going to just be new episodes um, going forward. Uh, so that'll be cool, and people can check it out. Also, it, you can follow along. like You can pull up the transcript and, and be able to read while listening. Um, some people enjoy doing that, and it helps them. Uh, so hopefully it'll be useful for, for all sorts of people, uh, not just the deaf and hard of hearing community. Yeah, again, I mean, I just want to say again, extremely generous of you, Jennifer. So thank you so much. Yep, thank you. All right, so I think we're ready to get into our general thoughts. Once again, this will be spoiler-free. I will try my best not to spoil anything. This book, uh, I really enjoyed reading it. Um, I had a, I had a good time. I, I think there was a certain... I mean, it's called Silver Linings, right? And that's kind of Pat People's uh, motto and his, his, his philosophy is to look for the silver linings and things or to hope for the silver linings or expect them even. And uh, I found that that outlook on life to be refreshing, even in the midst of a lot of darkness going on in his life. Mm-hmm. I said before I've seen the film, so coming in, I was expecting, I was expecting something, and I got something different. And I got to say, it's not, it wasn't quite as um, heavy as I thought it was going to be. It was definitely, I just coming from the movie was expecting it to be, I don't know, a little more. But I, I did enjoy it, and I think the thing that really stands out for me is the wait, 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 a little, a little more, a little more what. I think I was expecting it to have more of like a heartstring pull to it where it was like way more suffering, much more, much more heartache. And although it's very clear that that uh, numerous characters in this story have mental illnesses, I was just feeling maybe something from the from the movie made it feel like it was going to be I think I was expecting it to be a little more forced. But at the same time, I think the thing that really stands out for me is the characters and the characterization. Because I wasn't, I, I felt like in the movie, especially, the love story was a little more loose and like kind of, it was like a mental illness film with a, with a story of a, with a love story blossoming in, in between and kind of like how messy that can be and how like true, true to life it can feel. I was expecting the book to be like, this is a mental illness book. And I think it was more subtle than that, okay. if that makes any sense. Now, well, I mean, I haven't seen the movie, so I, it's hard for me to make any comparisons um, to that. But speaking on just the book, um, there was a comparison that leaped to mind to me that actually made me laugh a little because I thought this is going to be a ridiculous thing to say, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> um, when I was reading this book, I thought, especially in the like early pages when I was first reading it, this reminds me of Patrick Bateman. <laughs> oh wow. Uh, American Psycho. And 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 not in not really, but like in form because it was a first person book and we were inside the mind of someone who was unreliable. Right. And who was telling us things that clearly didn't jive with reality and I started doubting everything he was saying, and then it was clear that he had some sort of anger problem. Yeah, it was uh, it was funny because I started thinking of Patrick Bateman, but clearly this guy was way more likable, and so there mm-hmm. was like it, it was a distinct difference. Like it was like two sides of the same coin, um, and I don't think this guy's a psychopath, uh, whereas Mike Patrick Bateman is. Um, but it was it was showing that a mi- a mind that you can't trust to accurately report its own reality. And in that mm-hmm. sense, it reminded me of that. Um, we also got some early on. We got some uh, long descriptions of like football stuff, and they weren't nearly as long as Patrick Bateman's beauty regiments and stuff. But it reminded me of that too. It was like this thing that it was almost like uh, Pat was trying to show how much he knew about it because he thought that's what people expected of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't sure how much he actually enjoyed it. Anyway, so it's funny because my, my start with the book was I was thinking very much of American Psycho, which is a very different novel than this. Right. And uh, I won't linger on it too long, but I just thought it was funny that, that, that those uh, comparisons were jumping to mind for me. Something you said was he's more likable than like a Patrick Bateman. And I think to circle back to the point that I was trying to make before, I think that he's more even more likable in the film. So so to me, it's like this this story is showing someone who what I was expecting was a story that was about mental illness and it was going to feel like maybe a little preachy and saying like people with mental illness are people as well but it but really when when i read the when i read the novel that's not what it was it was i think it did a good job of of kind of showing especially with like his father pat's father in this um kind of showing how people try to stroll through mental illness sometimes and cope with it without seeking treatment and just um it becomes like normalized in their lives and i think that that's something that pat has had to deal with but 
because his because he was in a more extreme situation it was like amplified and then he had to you know seek help and take medication earlier i said it was like kind of darker than the film i think it also we get like the perspective of somebody who is like you said like unreliable and seemingly like although i don't think that he's a bad person in any way clearly has a track history of being potentially dangerous so should we maybe set up a little bit of what like the premise is without spoiling what happens because I feel like right now we're talking in a way about a character that if someone hasn't read this, they're not going to have any idea what we're talking about. Um, So do you want to explain like who Pat Peoples is just like from the premise, from the, from the get go? He was a teacher who um, had something go on. And when we first meet him, he's uh, being released from a psychological ward. We're getting it from his viewpoint. So we're kind of seeing him manipulating the system and the doctors and his mother into like, letting him out even though he put, he is we can we can tell as the reader that he's not 100% ready to be on his own in this kind of way. The narrator is is um being released from a mental institution and we're told he has uh psychosis and he can hallucinate and all this stuff and I'm told that in the novel I immediately go okay anything that he's telling me may or may not actually be happening. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting his reality because his reality is what he experiences, right? Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it's true. Um, like, I didn't think he was lying to us, but I was thinking that what he is experiencing might not be what is actually happening. So I, I am going to be interested to see how that's how the m- movie handles that because that's by definition different in a movie because I, I feel like, I, we've talked about this before, but I feel like the camera has a sort of a um, indifferent gaze where it's like, this is real. When you're mm-hmm. watching it, um, you know, obviously there are tactics to, to to play with that. But I just wonder how, how that might be changed, because this story felt right to be told from his perspective. And and like you were talking about the themes of, of whether or not he should be out or he uh, what his life, uh, what the kind of quality of life he can have. And, and you know, all of that, I think that's all baked into the story in a way that's really natural. So I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to to just kind of mention the football aspect of this story um, yeah. and also kind of his obsession with fitness and, and working out. Um, and this, again, it's like maybe this is part of the reason why it, it kind of made you think of Patrick Bateman as his like regimen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. The workout regimen. <laughs> and how it's like his the most important thing to him. Like he wakes up and he's pl- every time that something's going on in his life, he's planning his fitness circuit whatever he's going to do before he goes to like watch the game or visit his family or see people. Um, what do you think that that is like, what, what is that signaling to us, the reader when we get that early on? What is that signaling? Like, so the, the football and like the, like, is there like some toxic masculinity in here? Is there like some sort of like obsessive compulsive thing? Yeah. I didn't get the toxic thing as much. Um, I think Bateman is definitely, definitely um, sort of demonstrating that, but, but here, I think it's more about obsession. I think a lot of this book is about obsession and a lot of it is about coping mechanisms. And I think his working out is an obsession for him and also a coping mechanism because as we learn, he's convinced that if he's in like the best shape ever, that that's going to convince um, his wife, which we don't know the history of what happened with, with him and, and her, but he, that he has something called a part-time, which he's currently in right now. And uh, for whatever reason, um, and he thinks that that'll end a part time is if, if he can get into just like supreme shape. Um, so it, it is also kind of like working towards his ultimate goal, which he is also obsessed with. Um, so he seems very obsessive to me in a lot of ways, and especially in that when in this particular fashion. And um, I think it shows the how extreme that can how extreme behavior can come out of that. And um, he doesn't just work out like he works out to an extreme amount. Like you said, like he's wearing trash bags. He's running 15 miles a day before he does weight, weight benches and stuff like he works out so much. And I'm hoping that uh, when I see Bradley Cooper in this movie, he's going to be jacked. Because (laughs) (laughs) when I was picturing this character, I was like, holy shit, this guy's going to have to be in insane shape. So we'll see. Yeah. (laughs) Don't spoil it for me. Did you get something else out of that, out of the workout aspect? I just think that the way that he's obsessed with fitness and being in great shape and being strong, um, and maybe also the way that his dad is obsessed with the Eagles, maybe that stems from his father as well as his wife. The things that the reason why he's wanting to be in great shape for his wife. 
Right. So I, I see what you're saying. So so it's like maybe he grows up in this family where his father is obsessed with all of these athletes. And to, so to him, there's a lot of worth associated with being athletic. And we see that reflected in a lot of the, his thoughts uh, about other characters, right? Like he's constantly thinking about someone else's uh, build or their athletic prowess or whatever it is. And, and, um, th- and that comes, that circles me back around to one other, op- a couple of observations I want to make about Pat Peoples as a narrator. One, he's deeply flawed. Um, now he's not, he's not Patrick Bateman flawed, <laughs> um, but he's got a lot of like questionable beliefs. Um, I think there's, there's some sexism baked into there. Um, there's definitely some, some privilege. Um, but I think he also is sort of aware of it. And he, and, and I love his little mantra where he's like, I'm, he, and I, this isn't a spoiler to say, but he says, I'm trying to be, uh, what does he say? I'm trying to be kind and not right. Mm-hmm. And I, and he says that repeatedly throughout the book. And I think that that mantra is like a really powerful one. And, um, I think it reflects how, uh, he's fighting against sort of these other, other things that are going on in his head. Another thing that, that pops up in this book is kind of his, he is another obsession. And I think that's with like educating himself with a specific literature and kind of like trying to educate himself and, and be well informed about uh, specifically like high school literature. He keeps finding himself not agreeing with these, these stories being told to young people. Um, so I just, I found that fascinating too. Right, because he doesn't like that the books have sad endings often or are depressing. But yeah, that reminds me of another part that made me think of Patrick Bateman. <laughs> um, these descriptions of like classic literature where he gets into the plot and he talks and he reacts to all of that. And it's very like, it feels kind of um, beside the point. And that was the kind of thing Patrick Bateman would do with his music reviews, right? Um, where he would talk about 80s pop music. Um, so like I said... It's it's interesting that these parallels kept coming up to me, um, but clearly very different characters once again. Also, the name Pat Peoples to me sounds like, uh, what is it, like Joe Everyman. <laughs> it's like right. essentially might have been this guy's name. Um, so I'm actually not a big fan of that name because I feel like it's too on the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, it's To me, it feels like the author trying to say like, hey, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. This is all of us, isn't it? That's another thing that I wanted to say is that I think that uh, nearly every named character in the story, whether it's been diagnosed or whether w- no matter what it is, I think every character has some level of mental illness to them. Um, I, we can get into it more in the spoilers, but I, I thought that that's interesting because like clearly, yeah, he's supposed to be this every man and we're supposed to not all of us have as severe of um, like I think everybody deals with something. I think that it's interesting that the the author was basically trying to make us sympathetic with almost every every like aspect of mental illness through the story yeah and i like that uh, i just think the name might be a bit and the to me to me to my sensibilities it might be a touch too far too on the nose but i love the idea of it right i think that's very clever before we really get into it actually let's let's do uh author bio let me t- talk a little bit about matthew quick i only know a little bit about him and then we'll get into our full spoilers so one of the reasons I do want to talk about him a little bit is the story that I read sounds to me like this sort of modern authorial daydream that a lot of people have. And it's like the thing they wish they could do. Um, and and what's crazy about it is that it worked for him. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so from from what I've read, basically, he was he grew up and lived in New Jersey, uh, went to college, uh, studied English creative writing, got an MFA, I believe. And then he started teaching high school English. And um, I've heard him say in interviews that he he was depressed and, and un- unhappy with his life and started thinking how he really wanted to write a book. He decided that he was going to quit his job and move into his, uh, I think, step-parents' basement and work on his book for three years and and just totally devote himself to it. This is the book he wrote. And I think he also traveled some from what I read, like he maybe traveled a little bit before he moved into the basement. He came out with this book and it was literally a a dream come true. But what's crazy is also I read 70, 70 different literary agents turned it down. Wow. uh, Which is insane. So that also shows perseverance and, and I don't know how many revisions it might've gone through during that course of time, but the idea that he stuck with it, believed in this book, and finally made the deal, and then this book was optioned 
and made into a, a major pic- motion picture with Robert De Niro and Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence, you know, and it hit bestseller and he became a New York Times bestseller uh, when the movie came out. It's literally a dream come true for people. The idea that like he chased his dream, he, he just kind of gave it all up and committed himself to it and then hit a bestseller list. And now he's gone on. He's written several more novels, uh, I think several young adult novels and adult novels. And, and has really just uh, crafted this career out of nowhere. Um, and it's incredible. And, you know, props to him for being able to do it. Um, it's, 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 I think it's a dream for a lot of writers. Now, I think we try to stay away from this usually because I think, like, like I think we've talked about it before. It's a little short-sighted. Um, but I think I, we have to mention the fact that he, how much of himself was he putting into this novel? Because he was clearly an English teacher who is dealing with a mental illness, depression. So how much of himself is he putting in these characters and, and like how much do you think that, I think it clearly informed the novel a lot, but. So much um, of it. I, I, th- I think the, the culture, uh, the, the, I think a lot of the people, and it's not just, it's not just Pat Peoples. I think that would be the mistake is to assume that he is Pat Peoples. He's right. not, he's kind of everybody. Um, but you know, we see, we see, uh, I guess we're not in the spoiler territory yet, but we see certain characteristics from his life apply to certain other characters uh, throughout the book. And yeah, I think he's all over this book. It's very autobiographical, in my opinion. It seems to me like somebody who's been struggling with depression and is trying to find a way through and focusing on silver linings was perhaps his way to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's crazy because his life had that silver lining, lining at least, of, of actually achieving his dream. Um, so yeah, pretty incredible. And, and yeah, I think, I think he is all over this book. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if he necessarily went through like the, um, the relationship struggles, you know, like, I I don't don't think so from what I read. I I think he was happily married, but I don't know. But that just goes to show that like he was at least, you know, well-informed enough to write on these subjects. And I think he did a good job of kind of portraying multiple different, because what what, do we get a specific diagnosis for Pat? I don't think we ever do, not specifically. Do you, not I, I don't know enough about psychology to really know, but do you have any idea? Like, what were you like? Is he just anger? Oh, anger? Uh, well, it's spoilers to talk about, so okay. let's save it. Okay, let's save it. <laughs> we can talk about it as soon as we get in the spoiler section. So, um, is there anything else you want to talk about with with sort of this novel before we get into that section? Otherwise, we can just we can get right into it. I think I'm really ready to move into spoilers, man. I got so much to say. Yeah, I, we've been avoiding talking about Nikki as much as possible because I think she's a major plot point, and and I wanted to just kind of reveal my journey through this book with her character in particular. Okay, I was convinced that she was a figment of his psychosis or his delusion, and that wow. she didn't exist. Um, I had that thought. I wrote it down on page 25. I was like, oh, there's going to be a reveal that she's not even a real person. Right. And because everybody in his life was lying to him and it started to become obvious. And it was also like he had he he, it seemed like he had false memories. I was told he was he's hallucinatory. I didn't really know the level of his illness, his mental illness. So it was like um, I think there was a lot there for me to 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 kind of go down in the get in the weeds on that one. I gotta say real quick, I I don't know how healthy it would be to lie to somebody in this kind of situation. Also, it seems seems really irresponsible to me that everyone around him is lying to him. But and so I think continue. he do, I think he does that on purpose because to me it felt like people are all lying to him in the in the sense of like a white lie, like they all think that their lies are helping him, and I think that's very true to life to people who have mental illness. Um, is that they feel like people around them are walking on eggshells and are lying to them in ways because they're afraid of upsetting them. And it shows how sort of what a bizarre life that can create for somebody when nobody's telling you the truth. Now, granted, he can't handle the truth, you know, <laughs> to, well, to, to quote Jack Nicholson. Um, but <laughs> I want the truth. <laughs> but he can't really. Like he wants to know, but then we see when he hears something, he he loses it and he goes into it, flies into a rage, and and you know he's dangerous. I don't know. So so yeah, that, so I you're think talking that about is interesting. Your journey with with Nikki through the novel. Thank you. Yes. So Nikki, about halfway through, I I was like, wait a minute, I think she is real, but I think she's dead. So that was my mm-hmm. next my next thought was he was in some sort of accident, and she was killed in this accident. And so now everyone's not is lying because she's she, she's not actually separated from him, but she died. But then I was like that. I don't know. The more I thought about that, it didn't really make sense because I was like, 
unless he maybe he caused the accident, I guess was my reasoning as to why they would lie and make and try and make him think that that she was just separated because right. um, maybe they thought he couldn't handle the guilt. But this is the kind of like mind games I was playing with myself trying to figure out what the truth was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting. I, I think maybe because, you know, I, I hadn't seen the movie, so I didn't know, you know. So and then when we started getting the letters um, through Tiffany, I, at first I was like, oh, so she is real. And then after about like the second letter, I was like, mm, no, maybe this is just Tiffany making something up and playing into this. And so then I actually was kind of onto that because that is revealed to be the case. But it just, it was weird because like everything had been a lie up to that point to where it was like, I don't even know how Pat could believe that at that point. Like it was like everybody had been lying to him about everything. Everyone is constantly lying to him. And it just like, like, like I said before, I just think that that's like highly irresponsible with someone like this because although they may get angry, at least you'll know instead of it being a situation where like he finds out that Tiffany was lying about the letters and then like what that what kind of anger, what kind of like lashing out that's going to create. Um, well, to- we saw early on that he like hated certain people. Um, maybe not hated, but like he seemed like he had a strong, intense dislike for certain people like Veronica and his former uh, doctor and like certain people. And it seemed to me that the reason he didn't like them is because they were the people who were unwilling to lie to him. Yeah. And they would tell him the truth. And that truth would anger him so much. And he'd say, like, I can't believe they said that about about Nikki. And, right. you know, clearly to me, it's just them saying, like, she's not coming back to you. But what I thought was like they said Nikki's dead. And you're, or Nikki doesn't exist. And either of those two things were just incompatible with his worldview. So then he just decided he didn't like that person Mm because they like made up lies. Um, So I don't know. It's like, it's twisty because you you say it's irresponsible, but I I don't really know. I I think it's like, I I, I feel like there is some of this makes sense. Um, And it's like, you know, lie by by omission, not, not mentioning certain things. Like some of it makes sense, but then like, it's just so messy because when everybody starts doing it and um, maybe does it too much, I think there is it does create a problem too, or where the, where somebody doesn't know what to believe. And think about the oh shit moment of the reveal that four years had passed when he was in there, yeah. and he thought it had only been a, a year. Like that's a ma- that doesn't feel like a white lie to me. Like you're messing with somebody's life, and like the, his mom taking the pictures down in order to not to kind of make it seem like that time certain things hadn't happened or there weren't you know what i mean to push things from the foreground um and kind of like make him think that you know his brother wasn't married and and all of these things that he missed out on and i, I don't know it just seems like so, a lot a, a big length to go to to keep somebody in the dark and, and it's kind of just like treating them like a child definitely been he's infantilized in this um which um uh, is totally something that if you've ever been um hospitalized or injured for a long period of time um if you've ever been disabled in any way um this is definitely something that that you can feel um and you can feel like people are treating you like a child and um i you know, i think it does happen accidentally sometimes like people don't think about it um but i definitely see that here so you asked me earlier what i thought his diagnosis was and i'm not a doctor and, and i don't know but what I what I do know is what was revealed in the book, which is that he slipped or was pushed, perhaps, and hit his head on a faucet is what right. it seems like. And that caused enough trauma to his brain that he forgot a lot of stuff, which that definitely happens. Amnesia can be caused by this. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it also seems like it created some sort of um, almost like a psychosis or an imbalance in his brain as well, like an emotional imbalance, and it changed his emotions, um, which that absolutely can happen too. Um, there's a you know a, fa- a famous uh, case in psychology with the guy who had a piece of rebar go through his brain, and yeah. he survived. And you know about this, right? I've heard it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, so uh, he survived and was fine, other than. Um, it completely changed his personality. And everyone who knew him talked about how nice he was. And then afterwards, he was a huge asshole. And um, so it's interesting because to me, uh, he doesn't seem like a huge asshole. He seems like maybe he has impulse control. But in a lot of ways, he seems like a better person. So that was the other thing that made me think that that maybe he was just lying to us, the reader, 
is when he kept talking about himself from when he was in his marriage and how he acted and how he treated Nikki, to me, it didn't sound like him. It sounded like a different person. So I kept thinking, like, this is all invented. Um, but it, I guess it was him. I guess he was just, like, a huge dick to her. Because, um, like, when he describes how he used to be, it sounded pretty awful, honestly. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm trying to think of, like, what what psychologically he could be suffering from because it's, like, he, the the hallucination stuff was was from the medication right it wasn't necessarily yeah from, medi- okay. could be from the medications yeah. so there's that and then he clearly had anger issues he clearly had some maybe he was like bipolar in some way although i didn't really see the shifts but i don't like, think you can get bipolar i don't think you can get i don't mean be wrong about this but i don't believe bipolar is one that you can get from head trauma yeah so that's the thing too like this is caused by head trauma as far as we know he didn't have any mental illness before this mm-hmm. now maybe he did but um you know, and maybe maybe this just exacerbated it. Um, I don't know. I I feel like I'm a little bit out of my depth trying to really f- get into this because um, I'm not a doctor, you know, so I yeah. don't know. I'm not a psychologist. It might just be like a kind of a, a, a fictional, you know, stew of, of psychosis and, you know, amnesia that mm-hmm. served the plot. Right. That's probably what it really is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you were saying how you think everybody had a mental illness in this story. Um, mm-hmm. And I agree, and I can see it in several... I mean, obviously, Tiffany has got... Um, it's revealed that a lot of her problems are what's going on with her, um, which I think a lot of her is like depression and then trying to deal with loss and sort of the trauma of a dra- of a, of a traumatic event um, and a traumatic loss in your life. Um, and it was very tragic. And then um, the father, who I suspect is going to be played by Robert De Niro in the movie... Um, is is uh got his own problems. Like the this is like a guy who's uh abusive, and um lets the like wins or losses of the Eagles affect his entire week. And um, what's interesting is like both of us are are NFL football fans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like I kind of identified it. You identify with it somewhat, but then you see like this is taken to an extreme. Yeah. And like, yeah, I'll be in a bad mood uh, for like an hour sometimes after my team loses, um, maybe even a couple. Um, but I realize that that I, it's that's because of the team. And then I'm able to kind of like shake it off and be like, well, I just got to get mm-hmm. over it and, and have the rest of my day. Well, when you're um, when you're a Bucks fan, it's just co- that constant burden. So you just bury it deep down <laughs> and you yeah. never I don't let it affect oh, my days because it's you don't just, have to talk to me about that down. as 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 a Jaguars fan. I know I know loss well. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, we've been bad for so long that I, I don't really let it affect my days anymore. But I mean, it, it is one of those things where it's like uh, the the rituals that like the the chants that they were doing and how seriously yeah. he took it. He would come into his son's bedroom that he wouldn't talk to other than to do the chant in the morning to make sure that everybody's got the so mojo right. I love I love that part. Like that was the most um, it was like a heartwarming part for me. Um, and it's interesting because, like, written all over the front of this book is, like, heartwarming tale and stuff. Um, and I didn't find it to be necessarily that. Like, I didn't know if I would necessarily describe this as necessarily, like, a heartwarming tale. Other than the fact that th- those moments um, were, it showed how something like that can bring you together and how it can can help give a common interest to um, unite people and how it can it can, like strength and family bonds. And I don't know, there was just certain things about that that was really cool that I thought um, worked well uh, with the NFL side of it, which we didn't even like really talk about like how the NFL really affects the story. But I think that's one way in which it does. I think some of what I was talking about before with like the toxic masculinity is like the way that they talk about like a Giants fan coming into an Eagle stadium wearing the jersey or something like oh, that, yeah. where it's like, and I understand like the tribal nature of it. But at the same time, it's it's like it's taken to and like we've all heard stories like that and we've seen videos of, of unruly, especially fans. with Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. I know. But seriously, man, that's like I, I think they're the most infamous fans for this sort of thing. I could be wrong. Maybe the, the Raiders are right there, too. But I think yeah, Philadelphia fans are, are I mean, they're famous for like booing Santa Claus and all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So but again, like that's like clear. that's all, all those characters that's a mental illness like they clearly have like if you're willing to have that mob mentality to like attack someone or like surround someone and, and like people take it really seriously um so that's another thing that well i mean i this. think you can differentiate between like an actual mental illness um and like a momentary group insanity 
because like mob mentality stuff because i think some of that comes into play which is different than like true mental illness um but i see what, i see what you're saying though the uh, another one that i wanted to talk about was unfortunate it, it, it was the, his mother and the way that like yeah so the, the go ahead well no i'm asking what would you say what, the, how would you oh i don't know exactly what i would say it is but i would say just like her forgiving nature and the way that she's like she enables the son she enables the the, the father into being yeah. the people that they're being unfor- and it's like an unfortunate true situation that happens um but her willingness to like forgive after the she was like, standing her ground and she was gonna like she was saying like i'm not gonna clean anything i'm not gonna do anything and then they i think like the eagles won and then all was forgiven and they were like having sex or something right they were like yeah which was interesting because i kept thinking that the father was going to be kind of like not the villain of this story but if there was one person you could point to as a villain it was going to be him because especially early on like everything he did was like despicable to me yeah and 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 almost unforgivable and uh but it's also i think trying to show the strain this can put on a family and like i get that um but i mean like he's beating his son his mentally you know um impaired son for having an episode essentially right and like i know that yeah like uh, he was getting violent pat, with the mother though right pat so yeah like, so I, there's a trade-off there but i mean he punched him like yeah. <laughs> the father was literally punching him so mm-hmm. i don't know it's 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 wild and then yeah just the way he seems to, he does truly seem to hate him at times and how it's like can't you have some compassion and then the the just the fact that i later found out that this was caused by an accident it was caused by him and also, like, the nature of the accident, like, he caught his wife, uh, you know, having sex with someone else, uh, broke it up, and then, like, fell and hit his head in the course of, of that. Um, it's crazy to me that the father isn't more sympathetic. Well, I think, honestly, I think that it's the father is just selfish. Like, I feel like it's yeah. like he sees the son as not being what he wanted him to be and, like, of, like uh, an inconvenience to him. And there's your toxic masculinity, right? Like, there's the idea that, like, I my son has to be this, like, my ideal version of a man who's going to be normal and fit into all of these, like, boxes I have for him and do the th- and, and behave in exactly the certain way that I find to be acceptable. And if they're not, if he's not that, I don't know how to relate to him because that's the only way I know how to relate to anybody. Right. Um, and so to, so to me, that's that is, like, a, a, a sad part of it. And. I don't know. It's interesting how, like, like you said, when the moment where he and his wife reconcile, it seems to me that the book sort of says, like, and now all is forgiven. Um, yeah. And and I didn't really feel like he had earned that as a character. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Cliff because I think Cliff's really interesting too. Uh, yeah, the, I love Cliff. Uh, the psychologist. He was fun, yeah. and um, I don't know how professional a lot of the stuff he does is, um, but I thought it was a ploy, right? Like him being a, a Eagles fan and stuff. I thought like maybe he liked him okay, but like that was really like he was playing it up to connect. That's was what like, I thought. No, too, he's yeah. like driving a bus and stuff. Like yeah. he's he's yeah. legit. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was really funny and. Um, I don't know. I really liked him, and I'm going to be really interested to see who they who they cast to play him, and and how that turns out in the movie. Yeah, and I do think it was a good tactic to connect to Pat because because so clearly it it did work for him. We were seeing it from Pat's perspective, and he's like, I have the coolest um, uh, therapist, therapist in in all of Philadelphia, and he's just and like so obviously that that did help. Uh, let's talk about his obsession or lack thereof with uh, Kenny G. And like the way oh that my God, so he, funny, Mister yeah. G. He calls him Mister G. Was the best. Yeah, <laughs> I I, uh, I don't remember if it's exactly the same in the movie, but the way like the the way I'm that it's explained. What it was? It, how was it explained in the book? Remind me. Oh, he uh, oh, like the reason for it. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't think it was ever explicitly explained, but in my own head canon, and I think this is some this is supported by the text, is that the smooth jazz rooms when he was in the bad place mm-hmm. um would often play this song and this song that was smooth jazz was also the song that was played at his wedding ceremony which that was definitely in the book and then so he had and then so it would remind him of the wedding ceremony which reminds him of the infidelity and everything else and so that song became very linked to a very terrible moment in his life and then like it's just so funny that it became 
and not just about the song, but about the musician. And, and then like, he was literally haunting him at yeah. night and like showing up in his room to play like saxophone, saxophone in his bedroom yeah. and stuff. Like it's so yeah. good. It is really good. Yeah. <laughs> the way that like, if he hears it or if they even speak of the bad man or his music or anything, and he like is so obsessed with the fact that like he hates that guy so much because it reminds him of things. Uh, also comes back around to, the literature stuff, the way that he just cannot, he, he invests himself so heavily in the literature that, and he like, like puts his own life on that, that he can't cope with the fact that these characters are having, you know, unhappy endings, these endings that are just not so, so bleak. Um, and he, the fact that he can't understand why those are important, um, kind of shows like where he's at and why, like, he's not gonna, until he realizes, and I think we kind of get that, um, until he realizes like you take the good with the bad and silver linings are all uh, great but it's not always going to be like that the real world's different um, I think that's like his growth as a character so I want to talk I think one of the really fascinating things for me as a writer at least was the 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 theme and sort of um, that he gets into it um, with his with his therapist I believe about why do we read depressing dark fiction and I think that's a really interesting topic. Um, I think we should save it for the end of this, though, because I want to like get through all the story and then like as a summing it up and talking about that kind of fiction versus what this kind of fiction is or purports to be, at least, and and maybe like different purposes they serve. Um, but I think it's about time. I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to divide up the plot into three sections here, um, and I'll just briefly go over it, and we can kind of react to each chunk. So, a former history teacher who has moved back into his childhood home after spending time in a Baltimore psychiatric hospital, Pat, believes he has only been away for a few months, but soon realizes it has been years, and struggles to piece together his lost memories and what has become of his wife, Nikki. He has a hypothesis that life is a film created by God and that its silver lining will be the end of a part-time with Nikki. Pat embarks on a plan of self-improvement in order to win Nikki back. At a dinner with his friend Ronnie and his wife Veronica, Pat is introduced to Tiffany West Webster, who has also moved back home after losing her job after her husband's death. Okay, so that'll be the first chunk here. That's kind of introducing all the major characters, and I think gives us an opportunity to talk a little bit more about Tiffany mm -hmm. um, and, and her role in this novel, um, because we don't actually ever get her side of things um, other than what she says and then the letters that she has created as Nikki's... So, yeah, so she actually wasn't talking to Nikki on the phone. She actually never spoke to her, right? Like, right. it was all just pure invention. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. So those are all just purely from Tiffany, which is interesting, right? Uh, it kind of recontextualizes them, and I actually, again, it makes me want to go back and revisit them <laughs> because um, they get a different meaning when you know for sure. Because I suspected, but knowing for sure that she's just wholly inventing it is interesting. Well, and it's like to, she, she the knowledge that she has of, like, the school system and the way that they're teaching, like, like, she, like, does the research to trick him, Um and clearly she thinks that this is going to be the thing. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like in one of the letters she talked about Nikki, like Nikki, but Tiffany talked about how the like the school now has like an online service where teachers can check in and check the grades uh, and that kind of stuff. So for her to know that stuff, to put it out in a letter, she did all that research in order to trick him. So clearly she thought that this was the right thing to do. But I think the initial reaction is that she selfishly was doing this to trick him into being like, OK, I don't care about Nikki anymore. Um, and then kind of like open his eyes to Tiffany. Sure. So so back up a little bit. What what did you think of her character and her own tragic backstory? I think this is the part that like on the front of the book, it says heartwarming and stuff. I think that this is the part that that I and I don't know that it's necessarily very heartwarming for me as much as it's like, I think that it's nice that it's more of like one of these true, true to life stories or something that you would that you would a story that, you know, everything's not everything's messy in real life. So for these two characters to meet in this way and to have all of these problems and to kind of find each other and real not and at first not really like clearly Pat at first has other things on his mind and then to co slowly come around on it um i think that it's nice that these two quote-unquote broken characters find each other and like find some sort of salvation in that um her her character specifically is interesting because it's not that she like she i think that she's aware that she's being irrational and sometimes sometimes because she knows why she's doing it because of the passing of her husband um, and so it's like yeah. she's like willing to let herself be whether she realizes it or not, she's going through the grieving process. And maybe she's saying like, 
well, this is what I want and this is what makes, this is what makes me happy. So I'll push it to this extreme um, in order to get that. So I mostly like her character. Um, I do think she falls a little bit into the umbrella of the of the manic pixie dream girl trope, in my opinion. Um, and you would say like, well, what do you mean? How do you how so? Well, I mean, she's obviously odd. She so she's got that kind of manic thing going on, um, and that she's got like a, a curious way of looking at the world. She's she's she challenges our main character, who is a man, um, in a way. She's definitely attractive. She's attracted to him. Um, and then, uh, the dream girl part of it, I-, I think is caught up in there too, right? Like she's beautiful. She's sex obsessed. Um, and she's a little bit messed up, but if she can just get fixed by her protagonist, she's going to make for like the perfect girl to be with. Right. So there's a little bit of that going on, but I, I also think that that sort of reduces what is otherwise a pretty interesting dynamic created here. Um, and, and so I, I don't know that I, I, I don't, I don't know how fair it is to, to level that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it's like, it's kind of there, but ultimately I was still able to enjoy the story and I was still able to find her character interesting and, and, um, true to life. Um, I'm not sure that this would happen this way, but I could see it. It was enough to where I could buy that someone would be this way. Um, so yeah, I don't know. What did you, I got, uh, just specifically, what did you think of the, following him and running every day and like kind of forcing herself into his life like that. Yeah. It's interesting, right? Like she becomes kind of obsessed with him in that sense. I don't know. I guess I didn't, because I don't have her perspective. I didn't really understand why. Mm -hmm. Um, now she says later, I'm scouting you. Um, and, and we see that she's now, I guess like he's just, maybe he's just immensely attractive, you know, physically attractive. And he probably would be with, he worked out as much as he does. He looks like Bradley Um, Cooper. So yeah. Yeah, and he looks just like Bradley Cooper. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I I don't know. Like, I it's like it's it was fine. Um, and and I think that if we had gotten her, if we gotten chapters from her point of view, like that would have been explained in a in a satisfying way. I would imagine. I I can see what you're saying though with the manic pixie dream girl thing. Um, it does seem like it fe- it's like it came out around that time too, right? Like that like two thousand like like mid two thousands time is like when it was like. We, I think we're uh, like we're aware of it enough now to like see it and be and call it out. But it was like very popular during that time period. I think. Oh, I mean, I feel like it's been it's it it has been popular and continues to be popular <laughs> to this day. Uh, and especially a lot of you know uh fantasy or fantasy uh, a lot of fiction written by men. Um, because it is sort of like a male wish fulfillment thing. Like I'm gonna find this this girl who's broken in all the right ways, and then I'm gonna come in and fix her, and she's gonna be the perfect match for me yeah kind of thing um in a, in a very sexualized way you know yeah and and i definitely got that from her because the you know the implication is that she is sort of obsessed with sex now well and you can't help but feel that when it's like a male writer too like if it was a female yeah. writer writing this character like you might not feel you probably wouldn't feel that way probably not even yeah, if it was I mean, even if it was a female writer writing the perspective of a male character although i don't know because because these tropes are are usually perpetrated by men, but they're not always. Um, as we've we've definitely learned in this country, there's a lot of this sort of stuff that this sort of um, problematic stuff that can come from from anyone um, because it's ingrained in our society. And and the other thing is like I'm not trying to slam quick here, and I'm not trying to slam anyone who's ever put this sort of uh, a trope in their in their fiction because it can be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'm just trying to say that like it's important to me to be aware of these things. Um, that way, if I were to put it in my fiction, I would do it on purpose. That's kind of my goal, right? Like I want to be in control of what I'm putting into my into my fiction. And the way for me to be in control of something like this is to be aware of it. And if I am completely blind to it, then what happens is you accidentally put it in there. Nobody's sitting down and saying, I'm going to put in a Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Like I almost nobody's doing that. They're just doing it accidentally. Right. And so I think that's also important to remember. Yeah, that's cool. All right, let's get into the next section of uh, plot here. Pat trains with Tiffany and performs a dance competition with her. After the contest, Tiffany agrees to be a go-between and gives Pat a letter supposedly written by Nikki. Pat suggests a meeting with Nikki at a place where they got engaged, and despite no reply, he slips away from his family on Christmas Day to meet her. Nikki is not there. Tiffany is, and admits she has forged Nikki's letters and that she has been trying to help Pat move on and gain closure with his marriage because she, Tiffany, is in love with Pat. 
Pat is furious that the last two months of correspondence were a lie. In shock, Pat runs into an unfamiliar neighborhood and is assaulted. By chance, he encounters Danny, his friend from the Baltimore mental health facility. Danny helps Pat get to a hospital and reunite with his family. Pat still does not recall how or why he was separated from his wife, and only when he watches the wedding video, which his mother had hidden, do the memories eventually return, with the realization that he and Nikki will never be reunited. So this covers a lot of ground in the story. Um, I want to back up and talk about how pretty bizarre to me the dance competition stuff was in this book. Because it felt like it kind of came out of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, we literally get a big dance number out of it, which is so strange. Having seen the movie, I feel like it maybe is relevant sooner in the story. The dancing is kind of relevant sooner in the story. So maybe it wasn't as jarring to me. And then knowing it was coming, I didn't even notice it in the story. But yeah, I can totally see that how it like seems like it came out of nowhere. I mean, I get the it serves an interesting purpose in the story because it does show that he's willing to give give up the football, which it, up until this point has been such a sort of positive experience for him for the most part. Um, and he gives that up to to train for this and to achieve it. And then he has this moment where he is able to demonstrate this dance. And it's interesting because it's like it feels very cinematic and it feels like it was written in a way that it was like hopeful that it would be filmed (laughs) or something because um, I don't know. It just seems like such a visual thing. And um, I bet this, this plays really well in the movie. Um, But for me, it was like, it was okay. It was cool to reveal that everybody was in the crowd and clapping for him and stuff. But Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. It wasn't as like emotionally effective of a scene as some of the other ones were. Yeah. The thing that gets me with the dancing is that, ultimately like he's still doing it for the wrong reasons you know what i mean like although it is helping him to move on without even realizing it he is doing it for the like directly wrong reasons because he wants all he wants is the letter he wants to go between he wants to talk to nikki uh and something that i was just thinking about is so we talked about the letters are pure fiction from from tiffany she recommends a couple of books for him to read and i think one of them is huck finn and the other is catcher in the rye yeah, which I think is interesting because it's like the she's recommending certain books because she's hoping that he will respond to them, putting again putting his own life on those stories and thinking of it in that that sort of sense. Which I don't know. I loved all the sections where we were getting sort of his 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 uh, descriptions of these books and like uh, the bell jar and all these different ones it was really interesting. Oh, so before we get past it, the the football in this story. Um, I was like, okay, he's setting it up to where his life is going to be kind of in parallel to the Eagles season, right? We'd see the ups and downs. We'd hear about Hank and particularly Hank basket and like how well he was doing seemed to be reflective of how well, um, Pat was doing in his life and, 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 you know, their wins and losses. And I could, they go on a three game losing streak when he is, when he, you know, goes and trains, like it felt like cosmically, these two were linked in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that progresses all the way to the end where they play a very important game on Christmas. And, um, and a very important moment happens in Pat's life. Right. And then they come out victorious and they're going to the playoffs, I assume. Um, and then um, I, at first I was frustrated that we didn't get, resolution for like what happens after that and like do the eagles go on to the super bowl or not um i could look it up obviously this was based on a real season spoiler um (laughs) (laughs) um, i couldn't remember um but i I didn't think so i came back around and i thought okay we're not getting the resolution of this football season but we also don't know how pat's life works out we don't get like uh, a long uh epilogue where it describes how tiffany and him are happy together and you know living fine and they're both well now like we don't get any of that they might be just as fucked up they just have like a moment at the end of the book right um and and that's all we really get and so i felt like it was it was actually fitting in retrospect to not tell us how the season ultimately played out yeah i like that that's cool and it's like we but i think that moment is obviously enough for us to say he's moved on his his life is going to continue instead of being stuck in this this like continuous rut here let me read the last section of plot here just because we're talking about it after several weeks pat recovers from his injuries and after receiving a letter agrees to meet tiffany pat explains that he asked his brother jake to drive him to see nikki and observed her from afar finally realizing that she has a new family and is happy 
and thus accepts it as the ending of his, of the movie of his life. Tiffany gives Pat a cloud chart as a belated birthday present, and they lie on the ground and watch the clouds together. Pat pulls Tiffany close, and she tells him that she needs him. As they lie there on a frozen soccer field in the middle of a snowstorm, Pat kisses her and says, I think I need you too. Okay, so that's where the book ends. Um, and it is a kind of a sweet moment. To back up a little bit, uh, what did you think about this whole thing with him running and getting assaulted and then waking up and finding Ronnie? <laughs> Yeah, that was I was I was thinking that the that it was gonna be he got jumped, like he, he was assaulted and then he was going to it was going to have been some sort of like hate crime or something. Like it was like speci- like a targeted thing or something. I don't know why. I just felt like because it was so much about mental illness, I thought maybe it would be something like that. But it didn't really make sense to the character. because um, it's not like he has that sort of mental illness. Um right. it, like it's not as outward as that. Um, yeah, yeah, you probably couldn't t- unless it's the Giants fan back for revenge. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't really know what to make of that. I think that it's just like him. Maybe it's like he had caused harm to others, so maybe like that full circle of him also getting beaten up was part of like his his process of pushing through and kind of coming back to kind of moving on with his life. It was a little bit unbelievable to me. Um, it felt very, very uh, like this is what I want to have happen for the plot. Um, you know, we, but like, if you think about it, he was like sprinting through like downtown Philadelphia, essentially. And yeah, sure. Maybe it was a bad quote unquote bad part of town, but someone who's like full on running, I feel like is pretty unlikely to get attacked because that person is like, you have to like run over and try and intercept them and like to like try and trip him, I guess is what happened. And then he got beat up and robbed. Like, it just seems like such a bad target for any sort of this sort of thing. It just seems incredibly unlikely. It also felt like a weird fever dream to me because yeah. he wakes up and he sees Ronnie and I'm like, oh, he's totally hallucinating this. Um, but then I guess he's not. Um, it, it is Ronnie who just happened to be there when he like woke up from being assaulted. So bizarre. Um, and then they lampshade it by saying like, this is the sort of thing that happens in a movie, um, which I was like, OK, um, I guess he's trying to say that, like, ultimately, this is a quote unquote movie, although mm-hmm. it's a book. Um, and that it, this story is like that. So I guess it worked okay for me, but it just it just felt pretty it felt pretty out there. Yeah, I didn't really understand what uh, other than what I said, like m- what I'm uh, like kind of trying to pull from it. I, d- I didn't really understand the reasoning behind him getting hurt like that. That's it. Wait, is it Ronnie or Danny? Because he has another Danny. friend, Ronnie. Danny. It's Danny. It's Danny. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that part was weird, but ultimately, whatever. Now, I do want to talk about the ending here. Um it it was it was mostly good, but once again it felt a little bit tropey. Um, maybe just because I've seen like other movies that do this. But the laying on the ground, looking up at the sky. It's also like super cold. They're in the snow. It's snowing on them. Um, I feel like people don't do this very often in real life um, because it's just too uncomfortable to do that when it's that cold well they made a me- um, they made a, a point of saying like i don't know anyone else who would do this with me kind of yeah. like in order to say yeah, like for good reason <laughs> yeah <laughs> um they're looking up at the, the the blanket of gray clouds it's a very like literary ending to me um which i fit the book okay it's funny because i sound like i'm 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 I, I guess i'm just nitpicking because that's like what we do on the podcast right yeah. um but ultimately I, I liked it it was fine um and i thought it was it had that heartwarming note at the end which i guess um, backs up what's what's on the cover, right? <laughs> it yeah. does feel heartwarming at the very end. I, I think it'll be interesting once we see the film to hear hear where you land on it. But I think that I that I enjoy the film a little more, if only for the fact that I think that the story is messy and maybe that's by design. Well, I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet, but we are going to be watching it this next week. And uh, you know, it's it's we're getting into February here soon, and it's going to be uh, that time of year. Love is going to be in the air, and you know. So Whatever. does this feel does this feel uh, so. to you like uh, a romantic comedy with with like yeah. some mental illness thrown oh, into it? Uh, no, 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 um, no. Um, I I feel like this is a much deeper story than that. Yeah, um, and I like that, and and I like the story ultimately, and and uh, there's enough going on here to where like this is the kind of romance I really enjoy, mm-hmm. in a sense that it's messy and it's true to life in a lot of ways. Yeah, I don't know. I guess this just appeals to me, and and so. I'm glad we're covering it this time of year. <laughs> yeah, I want to mention a movie that it kind of evokes to me, 
but it's it's like a I would say a little bit lesser version just because I really enjoy this movie but it, it, something about it reminds me of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It's the laying on a frozen thing and looking yeah. at the sky. <laughs> <laughs> there is they a little bit of that. Like, but it's also like no, the characters dealing with their internal like like um like struggling and grappling with like their own feelings in the way that they're cuz like he in Eternal Sunshine he wants her back and like his he just can't cope with not not having her. And I think that's like kind of like the same thing with the Pat and Nikki relationship. I can see why you would make that comparison and and honestly I did think of it and and um, it, it, to me at first I thought like it was just that like uh, surface level laying on the frozen thing looking at the sky but you're right there's a lot thematically that actually kind of overlaps with that and, and um, I agree that that is superior because uh, that's one of my favorite movies I don't know if you know this about me I don't know if we've talked about it um, but if I had to list like top 10 for sure I think that would be in there it's a great um, it's film a, yeah, I love that movie um, and and yeah, I, I can see some overlap. I, I, I haven't seen the movie yet for this one, so we'll see. Maybe the movie's like incredible in a different way. Um, but uh, yeah, it's that's going to be a tall order to try and live up to that film for me. Uh, but we shall see. Now I feel like now I feel like I may be overhyping it a little bit. Just I want you to go. I don't want you to think that it's going to be Eternal <laughs> okay. Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, your favorite movie. But it's Fair. it's it's a <laughs> solid film. I just thought that there's like interesting parallels. So I think one way to to, to end this thing uh, will be to talk about depressing fiction and why we read it um but i think let's save that for the very end and 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 revisit at just to cap this thing off okay that sounds good if you guys wanted to find us on social media we're on facebook twitter and instagram all of those are at ink to film and we have a facebook group called the council of inklings where you can uh come and join us we have polls and we post things about upcoming adaptations and and things that we're interested in so come come check that out yeah, I just wanted to thank uh, Stephen E. again for for commissioning this, essentially, and and being a jukebox hero. And I hope that you enjoy this coverage, and I hope that uh, you enjoy next week. And yeah, thank you again. And if anybody wants to learn about that and how to have the process to get your own episodes, uh, go to patreon.com forward slash ink to film. Another way you could help out the podcast is leaving a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, and we wanted to shout out uh, Jen again for being uh, our transcriptionist, and um, she's writing this down right now, which I thought about a couple times while we were doing this episode, and it felt weird, but I'm sure I'll get used to it. Um, <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, thank you. Thank you for, for everything you're doing for us. We really appreciate it. And we wanted to thank Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, man. So I want to talk about this because I think this is a really, I mean, this is probably too much to talk about at the end of an episode like this, but uh, just briefly, like... What did you think about the discussion of why depressing fiction is important? Well, I'm, I have a quick answer for it, I feel like. So f- for me, the way that I've always approached stories is it's like, these are other lives that you're living. And you're not going to be able to, this is the only way that you can experience this many things in your life. You can experience things that you'll never experience in your actual everyday life. So for me, like experiencing sad or like really uh heavy topics and having to empathize with a character that's going through these things is the reason to do it because i think the more empathy that you have the the more fulfilling your life will be and i think in in general it's just like having those different stories to pull from and and they're, they're almost like life experiences for yourself so so that's where i'm at on that yeah, I mean, I like I like that, and that's the take that this book seems to take too. And 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 the idea of empathy, I think, is key. So, if you can imagine a person, um, this is a hypothetical fictional person. If you can imagine a person who says to you, "I don't ever watch or read anything that is dark or depressing. I don't like that stuff. I don't ever consume it." And all they ever read or consume is happy endings, happy stories happy movies and whatever. I feel like I would think that person is probably less empathetic. You know what I mean? And I might be wrong, but I I, I think I would assume that person isn't as empathetic as, as, as like someone who does, because I agree. I think that stuff like that can teach you empathy. Now it's not to say that you have to fully immerse yourself in, in those kind of stories to, to, to learn empathy. Um, I just think that they're, they're, I think there can be a nice mix of that. And I worry about that sometimes when I see um, really powerful or, and like loud um, movements um, in the literary community uh, on like Twitter and stuff of people saying like, we need positive fiction, we need fiction that, and people kind of like 
being highly critical of dark stories and highly critical of depressing fiction and saying like, ah, dep real life is depressing enough. I don't need depress depressing shit in my fiction. I don't need dark shit in my fiction. What have you? Um, I get it, but I also worry because I feel like I feel like depressing fiction is important, and I feel like it does not only teach empathy, but I think it can also give you a sense of being understood. And if you're going through dark things in your life, it can make you feel like other people get it and other people see that life is dark and other people understand my pain um, in whatever fictionalized sense. Um, and so I don't know. I just, I, I guess I'm always hesitant and I'm always kind of skeptical of the, these, these pushes. And, and I wonder um, how, I don't know. Like, is, is it really a good thing to be pushing for? I guess is what I'm saying. I don't know. <laughs> to be I'm pushing for clearly. only good things. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I think you would just write your truth, right? I think you, you, if, if something's coming out of you and it's positive, write that. And if it's, if something's coming out of you and it's negative, I think there's a place for that as well. I don't think one side is inherently better than the other. There's, right. Like I'm like, I think there's a place for both. And I think, I think, you know, often the push for positive fiction is, is made from a sense of like, Hey, we want room at the table for this too, because it feels like all sorts of fiction is dark nowadays. And I think that's totally fair to push for that and say like, Hey, this is important too. And it is. Um, I just would caution against going so far in one direction that you're, that you're, you're saying that all fiction that's dark or depressing is, is has no value or shouldn't be written or what what have you or we you know shouldn't exist and i think that's where it's like yeah i don't know if i agree with that <laughs> yeah yeah i get that but with that i think that we should wrap the episode here it's been a lot of fun covering yeah. this book i'm looking forward to covering the film next week absolutely uh, i think i told you in, in something bonus episode or something that i just watched uh maybe it was last week um that i just watched a star is born with bradley cooper mm -hmm. so uh, i'm excited to get back into the bradley cooper fandom and and see uh <laughs> see what he was like in 2013 and and yeah i don't know i'm, I'm into it and i'm looking forward to it but uh until next time thanks for listening mm -hmm.